Welcome, one and all, to the Film Harmonic with your hosts, Noah East. And Andy Ferguson. In episode 24, we have two new movies to discuss, starting with Robert Eggers' new film, The Lighthouse, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson, and the new Netflix entry, Dolomite Is My Name, starring Eddie Murphy and Friends. Plus, we have a very special supersize pick six segment, the first of our decade lists. Just in time for Halloween week, we are ranking the 10 best horror films of the entire decade. Leading us into the throwback challenge to close out the show in which listener Raymond Kester challenged us with a 1975 Norman Jewison film Rollerball. So, I believe it's time to hop a train on down to movie town. What say you, Andy? Let's punch the ticket. Our lead film this week is once again from A24, and it is the much-anticipated sophomore effort from Robert Eggers, the follow-up to his surprise hit The Witch. It stars Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. Let's discuss The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. (laughs) The Lighthouse. Uh, Mm. it, It is... Another A24 film. Wow. Uh, It's becoming kind of comical these days to say, oh, A24 is releasing another significant movie. You know, it's. (laughs) do you feel like it's almost gotten to the point where A24 is not only the most most significant uh, independent film studio. Oh, yeah. They might just be the most significant film studio making films. I mean, yeah. They've done a lot of legwork to get to this point. Let's not undercut that. No. They have put the work in over many, many years now, and it's like almost like like I said, it's almost like an, a joke now. Like when you see the A twenty four logo pop up, even on a trailer before a movie, you're like, "Oh, great, another movie we got to see." I guess yeah, because ninety six percent of the time, they're mm-hmm. they it's a gonna be a good film if they're the it's, ones who bought it and are distributing. That's it. That's a fact. You know, it really is. It's crazy. If you love independent film and films that are doing something slightly in a different vein. You have to love what they're doing. Yeah, right we now. could do a pick six of the worst uh, A24 films, and like four of the six would actually be good movies. Oh, yeah. They, they have a <laughs> unbelievable track record. It's outrageous. They do. Um, and I love that they work with directors like Robert Eggers. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they find young, talented filmmakers yeah. and put money behind them to, to execute their very specific visions, which leads us into this film. This is a very specific vision that Eggers had. <laughs> yeah, it um, is. It is. And he definitely made this film the way he wanted to make it, regardless of... Down to the aspect ratio. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I remember I, I was listening to a to a interview that he gave where, you know, the studio studios at first were like, you know, well, do you, do, you, do you think we could maybe do color negatives for this so that, you know, we could have a different cut maybe if for different distribution in different countries and stuff like that? Mm. And really, the producers and, and everybody really fought on his side and was like, no, this is how we're making it. There's a vision that that, that the person at the helm has, Eggers, in this instance, and being under the umbrella of A24 really gives you that freedom. Yeah, that artistic license to to really, really make the really choices nice. that you specifically want to make. It's nice that you when you go into an A24 movie and not to completely always jerk off A24, <laughs> but it's it, 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 it it's really nice to know that when you go into an A24 movie you're at least going whether you like the movie or not, you're going to get uh, the the vision that the filmmaker had 
film or filmmakers had uh, intentionally fr- from the get-go, you and, know? And most of the time that is going to lead to you being challenged as a viewer oh, in yeah. some way or another. This one does that. <laughs> this one is definitely challenging to its audience. It oh, challenges my. its audience. Every scene of this film challenges you. Yeah, I mean, right out of the gate, it's pretty apparent, mm. you know? Oh, yeah. That he's not going to let up and he's, no. you know. God, no. This is, it is done in a very boxy aspect ratio, as we said. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in black and white. He used all old film equipment mm-hmm. uh, in order to really achieve Which is very obvious when look. you're watching it. Yeah, and I saw, like, some some photography from, from the... Uh, from the set and like even the costumes these were color photographs even the costumes are very monochromatic just Mm. because the way that that would translate over to the black and white film wanted it to look a certain way and Mm -hmm. get those hues right and everything so like he he really had this detailed down yeah whether he's filming very specific close-ups of his characters or where he's filming kind of um landscape shots in this they are all very kind of specific uh, visions and, and speaking of specific, uh, and this is a very Robert Eggers thing as well. The dialogue, oh god, is yes. very specific again. And, yes, again because he did that in The Witch, where he it was did very very old English, and he did tons and tons of research on the dialogue at in that period, yeah, at in that geographic location, and he did this again with this film. Yeah, you know? he he's almost obsessively research uh, research oriented, and to point where he's over he he's. Inevitably, be going to be over his viewers' heads with it. Yeah, um, to the point where you can't hardly make sense of some of the dialogue. Yeah, this this is a film that would have been helped out by subtitles. Yeah, but it's, it's still not hurt by it. Oh I would, no, no, I no, no. Think Willem Dafoe's character in particular is uh, there. Are certain times, like akin to the father and the witch. Yeah. Where he's pontificating, where and it's, it's like, what is being said here? Yeah. What is happening? But and like, even though you don't understand every line or every word of the dialogue, the general uh, uh, intent is still. Some of the mannerisms kind of yeah. show you the way. Yeah, you know. Oddly enough, <laughs> uh, you don't really need to give a lot of uh, explanation as to what this movie's about. There's two characters in this movie basically yes and one is a old veteran the other is a newcomer to the field basically uh they're both lighthouse Atten- watchmen attendance watchmen attendance, yeah, what do you whatever yeah. you want to call them yeah but they're assigned Wikis to a 14 is what they day call them. Yeah. yeah they're assigned to a 14 day kind of excursion to uh you know kind of attend to to the, the the field it's four weeks four weeks oh four weeks four, four weeks, weeks. Yeah. yes sorry yes four and then weeks. and then their replacements are due to come and replace them yes um and in this it just so happens that uh the weather is so terribly bad that mm-hmm. the replacements don't show up and it's also kind of noted slightly though not directly explained that these uh, the reason Robert Pattinson's even there, his character's even there, is because the previous person went insane. Mm-hmm. That was with Willem Dafoe, and but then as the film goes along, you start to wonder: was it the previous guy that You're went right. insane, or was yeah. it Dafoe? And that's mm-hmm. kind of where the whole psychological back and forth, this <sighs> tug of war, mm-hmm. uh, uh, that that really takes up the bulk of the film, mm. starts to come into play. But I mean. The real takeaway from this, aside from 
this this vision, the look of the film that Eggers is has his thumbprint all over. Oh yeah, is the two lead performances. Sure, the lead performance, the two performances. Yeah, I think the first half of the film, you're really captivated by Defoe. Yeah, because he's his is the mo- more bombastic performance. He's amazing in it. Dubai, by the way. Oh, he's incredible. Um, he reminded me. He actually kind of put me in a corner and and made me realize. How much we've taken him for granted lately. Totally. Uh, especially totally. very lately. Yeah, I remember the the year that he was nominated for the Florida Project. Yeah. I wanted him to win so bad because I thought that was absolutely one of my favorite supporting performances of the year. And it was definitely my favorite supporting performance that was nominated that year. See, and, and when and he and didn't win, I was I was somewhat heartbroken. Who beat him that year? I don't remember, but whoever it was, it wasn't deserving. Uh, I see I love that he was nominated for that, but I didn't think the performance was significant enough. He didn't get a lot of time, but the fact of the matter is I think we're going to get the third year in a row of him being recognized. Yeah. I think we might. That's what I keep hearing. Kind of amazing. That's what I keep hearing is that he's he's definitely on the short list to be nominated <laughs> for. And it's like, is he best supporting actor? Is he best? It's hard to choose actor? between the two. Like it depends. I think he is supporting in this. It depends categorically how they run him. The way the second half of the film runs through, I think that Pattinson is the lead actor in this movie. I think he is. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, Willem Dafoe, we have taken him for granted for a long time. I really think so. Yeah. He, he, he man, he is quite amazing in this movie. Uh, he's He keeps you guessing throughout, as does the entire film. Eggers', Eggers script and his direction and both of the actors keep you on your toes and you have no idea what's happening from one moment, one scene to the next in this film. Uh, and the way that Willem Dafoe kind of projects the dialect is just, is quite impressive. It's it, 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 Willem Dafoe's line deliveries in this movie are like the marriage of him and Eggers' writing is really impressive to watch yeah it's a really great pairing of writer director and an actor it really because is it, obviously eggers dialogue is not the easiest to <laughs> to not. perform you no. know and when you find an actor that really like hits with you um in a way that they have it's it's something pretty special in it it's yeah he, he gets it and, he then, gets and it big time. this movie he's kind of taken more liberties because he's he's gotten a little bit more to work with here eggers in the witch he he did put put a lot of that dialogue out there but not an excessive amount here he's like well i have some pretty tremendous actors i'm gonna yeah. put them to use and yeah. he probably wrote this and with that in mind like i could probably get some really great actors to deliver this dialogue yeah. this time around now that i've got one critically acclaimed movie under my belt yeah and and he clearly puts a lot more weight on his actors in this movie as he more than he does in the in the witch oh big time uh, and and one of the things i read was that he wrote big chunks of the script he wrote in just our you know modern vernacular mm. and then translated them i see to this 1890s <laughs> new england sailory talk you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, another thing that that was 
kind of well documented during the production phase of the film is that uh, both Defoe and Pattinson said that this was the most grueling film set they've ever been on. They were being pelted with water to the point where it hurt. It stung. You can see that um, as you're watching. They it. went through a lot. Pattinson said he forced himself to throw up over and over on set. Well, and he throws up on in the film multiple times yeah and and and, and it never looks staged or fake it looks genuine it really really does and that's why because apparently it was real Mm -hmm. and there was lots of close-ups where um where you know he's him and defoe are like you know holding one another and apparently uh defoe was like i can tell he's about to throw up he he throws up on me i'm walking off the set and i'm (laughs) done for the day that kind of thing like it was they said that they really appreciated what robert eggers forced them to go through sure. but that it was pretty grueling while they were going through it you know when you see the film it's like you you kind of understand why he had to do it that way totally you know totally um, to, to, to keep to the achieve, authenticity intact yes, to yeah. achieve what happens here which is quite something oh, yeah it's pretty <laughs> remarkable um, uh, this movie uh, i gotta say having seen a lot of bergman this reminded me of some bergman films too as far as the aspect ratio and the very morbid qualities of it I think there's a lot of Bergman in this. The sound design uh, really just wraps you in. <laughs> that foghorn, how he keeps oh, using it my God. throughout the score. The entire film. The entire too. way. Yeah. Just the the some of the long shots of hallways and, mm. and rooms. This is a haunting, haunting film. It is stark to look at. But it is very, very weird, too. It is oh, yeah. super, oh, yeah. super weird. Mm. And very funny. I think that's another thing that's... that gets lost along the way is that it's actually really funny. <laughs> Best fart jokes I've seen in a movie in, yeah, in and several I, years. And I hate fart jokes, and I think the ones in this one work. If you're going to do them, make them real intellectual fart jokes. Like, well, there's, like a, there's an extended <laughs> scene of dialogue in this movie. There's a long scene of a ton of dialogue that ends in a fart joke that is just <laughs> really, really good. Yeah. But it's also like, it makes you, the viewer, very kind of like almost jet lagged by the end of it. Yeah, it, it, you, know? you do feel like you've labored through it. But it's funny. At the same time, it is. At the very end, you laugh, even though you're tired from watching. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I sat, I, I sat in an audience full of people. Yeah, mine was packed as and well. And the majority of the people were like, "What is happening here?" Yeah, you know, it's kind of amazing to witness this movie in bigger multiplexes. Yeah, like because I don't know. How ten did years it, ago, could this have happened? No, not at all. No. How did it play in your theater? Uh, was it mostly. Well? Uh, mostly it was uh, as far as the reactions yeah mostly uh, people were perplexed really perplexed. my theater i mean obviously it's a very perplexing film but my theater from what i gathered it was really well received really yeah i think people really enjoyed it and i went to well to amc you know so castle and square so so. Yeah. but I, I, I don't know i mean it's gonna and i'm glad to hear that because yeah. at least like it sounds to me like your audience your audience was like embracing the specific place this movie takes you yeah, it was thursday night so like that's mm. a crew that's going mm. to see it the very first night it opens it very early they were on eager day. to see mm. it yes yes yeah. that's true you know what i mean i saw it a matinee you know a saturday matinee a rainy day so a lot of old people yeah slightly different and they were expect- I, I think they saw the good reviews i think there's the sure. kind of good review crowd yes. you know what i mean absolutely it's totally different and it's been getting incredible reviews yeah so. Yeah, you know, and and most of those people were like, "What do we get ourselves into here? Yeah, what is happening?" But it's nice to see this film, you know, bring audiences in. 
Absolutely. I mean, I, I, we were talking, you know, just leading up to it about how we couldn't believe that it got, it's not a wide, wide release, but as wide a release as it did. It's wider we than were, I thought it would we be. We were thinking that we would only be able to go to the art cinema and see this. Yes. And the fact that it's in multiple AMC theaters throughout mm-hmm. the city, that's pretty impressive. It's pretty great. And I think it's because, I, I think some of it has to do with the fact that there's not a lot of... In the Halloween season this year, there's not a lot of options. Sure, and yeah. this is one. I mean, they're rolling back out It Chapter 2. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and the only other option right now is what? Countdown? Yeah, Which good looks luck. unbelievably terrible. Good luck. Yeah. This is more, whether you think it's a horror movie or not. Which we will a, debate later. Yeah, this is a very good option for late October. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, when I was leaving... The theater, I, obviously I enjoyed it, you know, but um, it, it really the, the thinking about it over and over for the last two days, mm, two yeah. or three days, is what's made it actually even grow in my head. And I, I think I even bumped it up another half star um, after that. I'm giving it four and a half. This thing's near perfect. Uh, I'm at a five on this. <laughs> really? I think this film... <laughs> love, I love to hear that. I think this film is the most unique film of the year. It is incredibly unique. I will give you that. It it is the most unique film I've seen this year so far. I, I, I haven't seen Parasite yet, but I, I have a hard time seeing anything uh, this year that is mm. that is this uh, um, specifically geared toward its director I, I mean, and this unique of a vision. Yeah, there's a very un- there's a specific vision that director wants to achieve, and he achieves it, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not. Mm-hmm. In my case, I love it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's just something about it. When I sit and think about this movie after seeing it, and I think, what don't I like about this movie? Name one thing. There's nothing. Because it achieves both... There's a time capsule thing about this movie. Um, I love... uh, Before I ever saw this movie, I I heard Tim Grierson said that it felt like it was recovered offshore... On an ocean, and like a, a, t- a videotape, like that found was footage. a film reel that was recovered in the yeah. rocks, yeah, offshore, and, and it's totally accurate. Yeah, um, this movie just feels it, it, it's such a risk-taking movie for right now. Oh, big time! I and mean, it's such. I mean, and for this movie to to be put out to the mass audiences is fascinating to me. Yeah, just just and it ticks all of those boxes of risk taking down from starting with the aspect ratio in the black and white mm-hmm. on down to the fact that it's two actors and just and two then, actors. You know, there's there's a lot of very very disturbing and disgusting things both there are. that happen throughout this film. Even sexually disturbing. Exactly. The dialogue, all of it, like this is a big big risk. It is. And what makes it so original and unique is Name another director that could have made this film. I don't know. This is his film. No it other director really would, have, is. would have come up with this and then chose to shoot it the way he did, chose to write it the way he did, and score it the way he did, all of it. This is this is Robert Eggers' film, and no one else could have made this. Yeah, this is a director who is looking at a sophomore effort and saying, I will, I will get better. I, I, <laughs> yes, I will get better, and I will continue to make the films that I want exactly. to make. Exactly. And A24 will support me. Absolutely. And with how big of a success it looks like this is going to continue to be. I think it's going to make a lot of money for I him. I think he's just, the sky's the limit. He's going to be able to make literally whatever he wants. He, it's already been leaked in the trades that that he's his next film is, again, a period piece. It's a Viking, oh, a Viking film called The Norseman. 
That should be very interesting. So very high grades from us. On this I one. think this is a great film. Um, it is a great. It is a truly great film. This will film. be uh, on the list of the best of the year. And let me just say, again, I said earlier that Willem Dafoe was amazing in the first half of this film. The reason I said that is because I think Pattinson didn't necessarily stack up to him in the first half, but Pattinson finds another gear later on. Does he ever? He's he's phenomenal. They're both phenomenal, but yeah. Pattinson in the second this the second half is his movie. Right. They both get their times to shine in this movie, which is nice. Exactly. It's it's very even-handed that way. And Pattinson gets another notch on his belt of diverse roles. Big so time. and he's not even 30 yet. I mean And he hasn't even done the Batman movie yet. Ridiculous. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh well, cruising right along, our next film of the week is Netflix's newest release to hit theaters and streaming at the same time and they're hoping to sneak it into the awards race as well. It's a comeback film for Eddie Murphy and well, let's just dig right into it. We're talking about Dolomite is my name. Dolomite is my name. So this is a big change of pace film from The Lighthouse. It's they, fun, right? You know what I mean? Like That's the only, good, though. The only way we could have gotten further from The Lighthouse is if we had gone to 90s animated or something. You know what I mean? Right. So, um, yeah, this is a big change of pace. This was one of those that we've seen a lot of trailers for leading up. One of those fringe award things where, mm-hmm. you know, they're not they're not expecting it to get, you know, 11 nominations, but they're trying to, to maybe sneak in a couple, a handful of nominations, kind of backdoor. Yeah, uh, with this with this film, it is for those who don't know, it's Netflix's big release of the week. It's in both theaters and and on streaming. Um, it is about Rudy Ray Moore, played by Eddie Murphy, who is the originator of of the character Dolomite, and brought yeah. it to the silver screen in the in the '70s as well. And this is kind of a biopic, a little bit. Sure. Um, uh, in a, in a in a strange way because it's definitely somebody that most audiences aren't familiar with. He wasn't a huge famous star. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's also a period piece as well. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and that, and and while it is definitely a comedy, um, because a, it's about a comedian, Mm -hmm. um, and it's starring Eddie Murphy, but it does, it does try very hard to make sure that it straddles some really dramatic lines as well. And, and, and to have, a little bit of a through line with some not only heart, which it which it has, but also you know some tackling some serious stuff along the way in a kind of dark comedy kind of way. It's not very dark. It's kind of like no taupe. It gets there <laughs> though. It yeah. kind of gets there at times. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Um. And and the one thing that everybody's talking about right out of the gate with this is Murphy's performance. That's sure. Kind of the big talking point. Well, the reason why is because when's the last time you thought of him in a great role? Haven't seen him in a while. So the last time I can remember him being even talked about in the media. Is Dreamgirls? That's what I was going to say. Dreamgirls, because he, he was, was nominated, nominated. And he yeah. famously walked out when yeah. he did not win. Yeah. Because he thought he should win. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and he's that kind of guy. He's Eddie Murphy. Yeah. He's Eddie Murphy. I, I'll i say this. Because this movie is primarily about his performance, right up front, I got to say, I haven't felt this strongly about an Eddie Murphy role in 
since maybe Bowfinger. I mean, I'm just a big Steve Martin fan in general, so Bowfinger was fun. Uh, oh, Bowfinger Bowfinger was very fun. It's a guilty pleasure, and it's not yeah. that guilty for both of us. We both yeah. really like Bowfinger a lot. When but you say that, you feel strongly about this performance, is it the positive or the negative? Very positive. Okay, good. good. Uh, because uh, I was reminded of the 80, classic 80s Eddie Murphy performances in that... Is there, I was reminded more so, this may be silly, but I don't know if anyone can say motherfucker as great as Eddie Murphy can. Yeah. And he says it (laughs) 500 times in this movie. Exactly. I mean, maybe not that many times, but a lot of times. This this movie movie has more language in it than any film of the year, I think. A lot of language, a lot of, I mean, just a lot of raunchy stuff. It is very raunchy. It is raunchy and crude and... This is, but this movie is raunchy in a way that 2019 movies should be raunchy. Exactly. Because when we talk about the problems with 90s raunchy movies... We talked about this when we talked about Joker a couple weeks ago. We did. Seth Rogen, American Pie, movies like that had so many problems back then. Yeah, but because they, they... There's this misconception that, you know, comedy has to be entirely neutered, for lack mm, of a better word. Agreed. And you can't even be raunchy or crude. Yeah. It's like, no, that's not the case. Not there's, at all. There's definitely a, a, a place for that and a, an audience for that. This movie is an that. example of it. And there's ways to do it and have it not be offensive. I agree. There is a big difference between crude and rude and lewd mm-hmm. and offensive, and this is a great example. Great example. Great example of it. You know, I gotta admit, when this movie first started, I wasn't really into it. No, uh, it did. It takes a minute to get rolling. Yeah, when it has, it's very formulaic at times, Absolutely. especially in the first 20 minutes. Honestly, the whole thing is pretty formulaic. It is, but there's a lot of charm, man. Exactly, and if you nail the formula, then it's not that bad. When this movie starts getting into the uh, Rudy Ray Moore wants to film a movie aspect, it gets that's, really good. Not only is that when it gets fun, that's when it reminds you more and more and more of Bowfinger. Agreed, yes. Yes. Yeah. The parallels are pretty that they're really strong. Yeah, when Rudy when Rudy is kind of stealing jokes, developing his his dolomite routine. Yeah, ca- when he's the doing character. that, I wasn't necessarily into the flow of the movie. Yeah. But the movie has this pacing later on that just hits it hits you. Yeah. It's uh, one it's of the, very fun. One of the things that I said earlier today was that I, when I was done with the film, I was like you know, I I can't remember the last time that I saw a movie that is this crass mm-hmm. and 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 crude, but still retains a lot of so heart. much heart. A lot of heart. It's kind of strange. You and know? that's mostly due to Murphy, honestly. Yeah, because he has this genuineness to him in this movie. Yeah, it's it's Murphy. It, it's definitely Murphy uh, uh, who gives it that much heart, but also Divine Joy Randolph who she's plays great. Lady Reed. She's great. She gives it tons of heart. Uh, Titus Burgess. Oh, he's more subdued in this. He's very subdued. He's not but, over the top, which you normally see him. But he as. gives it so much heart he as does. well because of how much he was pulling for, you know what? for Rudy the whole time. That's the thing. Most people are more low key than they usually are. Even Keegan Michael Key. He plays a writer in this movie who is kind of like a sophisticated black writer. Yeah. But he is known for playing high energy, over the top characters, and in here he dials it dials back. Dials it down a and bit. it's great. He does. You know who my favorite performance of the film, other than Eddie Wesley Murphy, is? Wesley Snipes. No, Mike Epps. 
Oh, okay. I, I love Mike Epps in this. He's he, great. He's so natural in this. He is, yeah. He delivers a lot of dialogue where he's talking and then he cuts himself off in the middle of a sentence mm-hmm. and will start a new sentence. Mm-hmm. And it seems so natural. Like that scene when he goes out after the diner, when, when Eddie walks out after the he's disappointed with them at the diner. Yep. Yeah, that scene. Yeah. Yeah, where yeah. they're ordering strawberries. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Extra collards and all that, yeah. Great. It's great stuff. Yeah. Wesley Snipes is really good in this, too. Snipes I like a lot, too. It, it, He's it, so he, fun. That's another performance that, that it took a minute at first. I wasn't sure, and it felt a little awkward. It did. That first scene but when then he's when offering you, the role. Yeah. When you see what that character is and mm-hmm. what he's about. He's, you know, he obviously has a drinking problem as well. Yeah. And like, mm-hmm. you know, he's unsure about it at first. So you're unsure about him. Yeah. Um, but as it goes along, yeah, Snipes is really solid in this. And then they kind of sprinkle in these fun cameos, fun cameos, like T.I., Chris Rock. Chris playing, Rock's great. Chris Rock playing in a radio host in Indianapolis. Radio host. That was big for me. Bob Odenkirk um, as the head of Dimension Pictures. Cody Smith-McVie is the, he is is great the director of this. photography. He is so good in this. There's a scene where he has to explain to Rudy that they ran out of film. Yeah. And they can't keep going. And he's been working for free for a while. Yeah. And it's a genuinely good scene. Um, I... You know, I expected this movie to be decent. Uh, but, yeah, I didn't have high hopes. But I didn't necessarily have high hopes. I gotta be honest, this surpassed my my expectations. Especially where it ends up. Especially that where it ends up. That scene at the very it's end. moving. Really moving. At the premiere. With the little the kid. Official, yes, at the official premiere where Rudy steps out of the way to say, you know what? I've seen this, this movie already. This is what yeah. is important right This is now. what I came for. And it ends that way and it hit me. And it is a yeah. very good film. I give it four. I give it four stars yeah. as well. It is a very good, yeah. uplifting, well-paced, just solid movie. Yeah, it's funny. The, you know, through, through the first third of the film, I was thinking, three stars, this yeah, is fine. three at most. Two-thirds of the way, I was like, all right, I'll give it three and a half. Mm-hmm. This, this is worth it. It's earned its three and a it, half. It sticks the landing. By the end of the film, it I was like... It sticks the landing. Man. I was like, three and a half isn't really fair for no, this. It's, because it's a four-star it's film. It's the best he's been in over 20 years. Absolutely. And Craig Brewer actually has a good sense of what's going on here you know i never saw hustle and flow and this makes I me kind of want to go back and I always see liked it. it and black snake moan is something i've always oh, that's liked right i've too. never seen that either he's uh, for what and he's a white dude which is very weird is he really because i was wondering i was like it <laughs> sounds kind of like a white name i'm not trying to be yeah, racist no he's but, a white you know, dude and huh. i don't know what kind of background he has but he clearly has a grasp on this maybe he was ad- adopted by a, by black parents who knows i don't know who knows this is a good film Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Very good film. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. All right, well, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, the time has come for Andy and I to rank the 10 best horror films of the decade. So if you're even a fraction of as excited as I am about that, you'll stick around. Turn to 
Ready for round two. Welcome back to the show. With each episode, we draw closer and closer to the end of the year and also the end of this decade. And with Halloween in a few days, we thought there's no better time to roll out an early edition of our Best of the Decade series than on today's episode. So we are ranking the 10 best horror films of the past 10 years. So starting, as always, with you, Andy, what is number 10 on your list of the best horror films of the decade? This is fun for me. Uh... <clears throat> seen a lot of horror films this decade. Uh, there's not a lot of great ones, let me say that. <laughs> I think a lot of the best ones have come more recently, mm-hmm. I want to say. Uh, but with that being said, my number 10 comes a lot earlier in the decade, and that is Pedro Almodovar's The Skin I Live In. Awesome. From, well, I think 2011? Maybe I believe so. Maybe yes. even 2010, but very early in the decade. I, I meant to get around to this. I oh, really did. I downloaded it. it and everything. Okay. And I just didn't get around to it. I, I as much as much as I crammed this weekend, I wasn't quite able to get this in. All right. All right. And I've always wanted to see it. I just didn't. Yeah. This is a this is a story uh, told from the vision of Pedro Almodovar, who is very interested in colors. Yeah. A lot of blues and vibrant reds and things like that. And what he does here, which he does every once in a while, he goes into the into the territory of like the dark and the morbid. Here he depicts the story of a like a renowned surgeon played by Antonio Banderas who lost his wife and is a and is a widower. And he is becomes obsessed with trying to create the perfect like um skin creation like, um, like synthetics yeah synthetic skin yeah it's yeah. very it's very much inspired by eyes without a face and films like that yeah old school films like that that's the first thing that i thought about when i when i saw yeah. the trailer and mm-hmm. saw the poster and everything was was eyes without a face it's mm-hmm. it's kind of just the bandages on the face and all of that yeah, like yeah, on yeah. the cover just kind of evokes that idea it's and it's got this haunting quality a lot of great music in this film that almodovar always in it injects into his films uh but he this movie may, basically revolves around him with a him and his guinea pig that he's testing this new synthetic skin creation with and how far he's willing to take it with her and how far she's willing to let him take it with her yeah. uh he 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 takes it to dangerous territory and she starts to realize that and she begins to push back on it and there's this whole other dynamic that happens in this movie um from that point and it is it is a very uh it is a horror movie by way of Almodovar which is very unique it's uh (laughs) it's hard to even describe you know because it's not your traditional type of movie in this genre uh, he's he's like a, he's like a an orchestral kind of filmmaker. Mm. He he, but he's also very um, he likes to paint with colors, like I already said, um, and which he does a lot in this film. But most most of the time, his movies take place in a more lighthearted 
section, you know, very kind of um, family-oriented comedy variety. Yeah. Most of his movies. This movie is not not really there. It, it is. It's kind of like it does kind of take from Hitchcock too, um, uh, to where you know there's a, there's a little bit of um, uh, you know even Psycho in this to where uh, th- th- there's something injected as far as like. Um, I think this this is the one link between his comedy and just his all of his work, which he does kind of it keeps it it keeps it uh, in the world of the family world where this still is linked to his dead wife and like he's trying to cre- recreate his dead wife's beauty yeah in other people and where. I think it's a great story of one guy who used to be a pure, purely good person who's driven into madness, trying to create, recreate something he's lost. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And a, a good man who is transitioned into probably not so much a good person anymore. It's <laughs> like, morally gray area. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. It's a great performance by Antonio Banderas. I think it's the best I've seen him. Until I guess this I'm, year, I'm told that his his next collaboration, yeah, with Almodovar this year, Pain and Glory, might be his best. Could very well earn Banderas a Best Actor nomination could, this year. So. Could we'll see. Awesome. Yeah, that's number uh, ten for me. Number ten for me is uh, James Wan's The Conjuring. Wow. Okay. Um, just barely made the list. Okay. Uh, this is a film that when it first came out in 2013, I remember you and I were pretty big fans of it. I was um, huge fan of yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I remember a second rewatch, me being a little lower on it. Mm. Um, quite a bit lower on it, but not like to, to the point of disliking it. And I watched it a third time a couple weeks ago for, in preparation for, you know, this whole month of episodes. And it got some of that, it got some of its points back, quite a few of its points back, not quite to the, to the realm of where I was that first watch, but, uh, it earned quite a bit, a bit of its, of its esteem back um it's just a really spooky movie that doesn't rely too much on jump scares it really earns most of its scares Mm -hmm. and it's got some terrific performances obviously from patrick wilson and vera farmiga but i you know i really love the uh the whole patrick the other couple yeah the whole patrick wilson and lily taylor Mm. Yeah, Ron uh, Livingston. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I meant. Ron yeah. Livingston and, and Lily Taylor. Um, they're really great in it too. They are. Yeah, um, I rewatched this too. By the way. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I just it, it is not perfect at all, and it no. and it kicked off a whole bunch of sequels. Um, but it did, didn't it? But this is, you know, in the early 2013s, we were being bombarded with the idea that James Wan and Drew Goddard and Adam Wingard and Ty West, those were going to be the, the next big thing in horror. They were going to, they were going to save horror from itself. <laughs> I remember and those revitalize days. the, the whole genre. And of all of those guys, I would say that James Wan has continued to show the most promise. I never would have guessed that back then. No, but me either. You're right. But, he, and here we are. And you know, th- this, this still st- for the most part, really stands the test of time, and it, it holds up for the most part. I think. You know what, James Wan? I only recently found out directed uh, Aquaman, mm-hmm. which I don't. I've not seen it of you. No, but uh, apparently it looks good. At least you know he's got a vision. I'll say that. 
Yeah, and he's directed, you know, some Fast and the Furious movies, but mm-hmm. he's also directed, you know, like uh, episodes of Community and mm-hmm. like, you know, so he's he's a he's a filmmaker that has a lot of am, you know, uh, an eclectic mix of ambition yeah. of of what he wants to accomplish, sure. you know. Yeah. And he's he's an interesting guy as yeah. much as I think his filmography is more missed than hit. This is probably my favorite thing that he's done. Sure. I would agree with that. Number 10 for me, The Conjuring. What's number nine for you? Uh, Number nine for me is uh, Patrick Bryce's film, Creep. I I knew this was going to make your list because Mm. you're a big fan of of this film. Uh, Yes, You're a big Duplass fan. I'm a big Duplass fan. I, I love most of what he does. And I think this in particular, this franchise is very intriguing uh it's a very quick and easy in and out gets to where it's going gets out it's about a 77 minute movie found footage it's a found footage it could be categorized as found footage yeah it is a movie that is just this patrick bryce who is the writer director of the well co-writer with mark duplass and director of this film plays the main actor in this movie yeah who has answered a craigslist ad and says this guy wants me to come to his house. He's going to give me a $1,000 to document him for the day. I don't know what I'm going to document, but I'm going to go there and I'm going to document it. And he gets there and this strange guy greets him in a very weird way because he knocks on the door and no one answers. But he found finds out later on that the guy's been filming him from the yard and he surprises him and tries to scare him outside in the front yard. And that's Mark Duplass who plays this guy who tells Patrick Bryce that I want you to film me all day because I found out that I had cancer and my son, my wife is, my wife is pregnant and I probably won't survive before my son is born. Yeah. And I want you to film me talking to my son that my son can see this one day, you know? And from there, it just, progresses into a strange set of scenarios that Duplass's character has clearly orchestrated from the beginning, taking this guy through all sorts of weird places. There's a scene where Duplass sits in this tub full of water. It's completely naked. He asks Patrick Bryce to come into this room and film him to where he can say, hey, my daddy used to sit in a tub with me and I want to talk to you, my son. And strange thing like that. Yeah. It, 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 it Ultimately, it gets to a point where Duplass's character confesses to uh, the, the this Patrick Bryce's character, who's the subject of this movie, the, the protagonist, I guess, if you would say, that uh, it's not really what it seems he doesn't really have a son he doesn't really have a wife he is kind of he kind of just wants to he doesn't have anyone he doesn't even have a friend in his life yeah he's just fucking lonely he's a lonely creep yeah and he wants to well not only take advantage of someone but (laughs) what we find out later on is he wants to continue his he wants to basically add another person to the list of people he's killing and taking advantage of and murdering in this movie sets up a franchise that is a proposed trilogy of a serial killer who is just notching more on, uh, you know, more people under his belt. And this is the beginning of it. And, uh, I, I think this is just a very, um, 
amazing kind of like very low budget example of if you have a really good idea, you can make a horror movie for nothing. And that's what they do here, basically. Yeah. And I think both Patrick Bryce and Mark Duplass do a very good job here. Yeah. I'm a a pretty big fan of this film, too. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. So it's number nine for me. Awesome. Number nine for me is a very divisive film. It was one of the most divisive films of the year that it came out, and that was 2017, mm. and that is Darren Aronofsky's Mother. Okay. All right. Um, uh, kind of a small cast. It's it's basically Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem. They're a married couple. And Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer, they're a married couple as well. Um and, you know, uh, Bardem and, and Lawrence are living this very tranquil life in this old-timey home. And this uh, couple, mysterious couple, arrives at their house and sets off a series of events that is <laughs> very strange. It was also very strange that Paramount put so much money mm-hmm. behind it mm-hmm. and put it out as as wide of a release as it did because this Amazing. was a big flop that year. Oh yeah, huge. Because of how div- divisive it was, the Catholic Church condemned it and told that if you're a ca- told told people in a in a press release that if you're a Catholic, you should not go see this movie. You need to avoid it. You know, it's and it, because it's so allegorical. Um uh, it, by by the end of it it's it's not a spoiler to say that, you know, Jennifer Lawrence is supposed to uh, uh supposed to represent mother nature and Javier Bardem is, is, is God, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then there's, you know, there's references to climate change and war and the, you know, uh, industrial complexes of various degrees. And, um, the film is a mess. It is a mess. But I think it's it's kind of a beautiful mess. Exactly. (laughs) And I think the performances, particularly Jennifer Lawrence, are fantastic. Uh, I think Michelle Pfeiffer is very good. Everyone's very good, right? All the big four four of them are really excellent in it. And um, I just think it's it's actually terrifying. You know, one of the, the, the most impressive things about the film is the pacing. Starts out very slow. And, um, you know, you're kind of trying to put together, okay, I heard this about the film, so I know she represents this, you know, and that's a little distracting at first, if you already know all of those things, but just the way that it's paced, it's, you know, it's, it starts out slow and then it starts to pick up. And then by the end, it's going a mile a minute. It's batshit insane. Visually, it's just throwing everything in the kitchen sink at you. Oh yeah. And it, it's startling, but, um, I think it's a really rewarding film. I really enjoyed this film more than I thought I would. I did too. Um, I saw it maybe two years ago. I didn't rewatch it or anything because it was fresh enough in my head. But um, yeah, I I think it's pretty scary, honestly, too. Especially some mm-hmm. of the some of the really disturbing imagery sure. <laughs> that it shows you in that last twenty to thirty. Oh minutes. my god, that's a barrage. Yeah, I, I think well, you, when you were mentioning the uh, the amount of money Paramount put into this, it's yeah. obviously because of her alone. Like Jennifer Lawrence was such a big money maker for them for so long, yeah. they thought that just her being in this would merit enough. And, and let's not say that it that it lost money. It, it only had a thirty million dollar budget, mm. and because. Uh, uh, Paramount put so much money behind it; it made forty-four million. Okay, so I mean, it broke it broke e- more than even by fourteen good. million dollars. So it wasn't it, it, Paramount didn't lose anything on this film. That's good for mostly Aronofsky, you know. Yeah, we'll it, see what he does. And next. it was definitely it was definitely considered a flop as far as Aronofsky's uh, concerned. Yeah, well, you know, 
I mean, like you said, it's too polarizing. Yeah, it is very polarizing. So understandably, the most polarizing film of that year, twenty seventeen. Easily. Two years later, we have Joker as the most polarizing film of this year. I guess, but it's made a lot more money. (laughs) What what is number eight on your list? Uh, well, number eight for me is Robert Eggers' The Witch. Ah, excellent. Um, I, I saw that we saw this together when it first came out. I believe um, we did. We yeah. saw it with, with Josh Short, our friend. That's true. We all went to see it together. Because we were really excited. Remember all of the, us were really excited. Those first trailers for this were, we were like, holy shit. What is this This thing? is going to be incredible. You yeah. Know I mean? So we were there mm-hmm. day one ready to see this. And... I think you both were much more blown away by it than I was. Mm-hmm. I came out of it thinking, you know what? I love three-fourths of this film. And then the last quarter of it, or the last 10 to 15, 20 minutes, especially the way it ends, to me, I thought it, it copped out at yeah. the time. At the it, time, He I does did. go from, from, uh, uh, from tell, don't show straight into show, don't tell. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right there at the end. I well, get that. And you know what? My rewatch recently. When did you rewatch it? A I'm week ago. Curious. Really? Not I, even a week ago. Gotcha. I rewatched a it few two, days two nights ago. ago. So my rewatch told me something a little different because whereas the first time I saw it, I thought there was a lot of tell don't show. Mm-hmm. This time I didn't think that because there are moments early in this movie where he does show a little bit. Early on, a lot of the witchcraft activity. There's there's a couple of short scenes. Yeah, right when the child is is abducted, is taken. When yes, you you know, and you see the witch's hut. You actually see that. You see. Her I don't remember that from grinding the first time. him up into a, mm. with a pistol and mortar. Yes. yes. Yeah. There's there's some. You so see there, some witchy that stuff. That made a lot of difference for me. Yeah. So this time around, I took that into consideration a little bit more. It's it's great watching this film again right after watching The Lighthouse. Yeah, um, right? Because you can tell just... Obviously, The Lighthouse is much more, like, specific and targeted <laughs> and yeah. his vision and very, you know, all of that. But that's not to say that this film, The Witch, isn't... Uh, way more all of those things than most directors put into their films as Shocking. well. Shocking. And Especially it's not just the dialogue. I know the dialogue was the biggest thing for people when they first saw mm. The Witch. Yeah. But there's way more to it than that that he really like... It's really impressive. Yeah, it really is. It's so well made. The score is great. Um, this is the first time you were really subjected to Anya Taylor-Joy, who's great in this film. Um, and honestly... The overall effect of Black Phillip in general is amazing. Yeah. It's it's become legend already. It is hair-raising stuff, like, where it makes your skin crawl and tingle yes. a little bit. Yes. That scene every time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So I turned around on this movie enough to give it number eight here. I'm glad. I'm glad. Yeah. Number eight for me is one that I know for a lot of people is much higher on the list, but um, on a rewatch, it lost a little points for me, but I still really enjoy it. And that is uh, David Robert Mitchell's It Follows. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, you know, we, we spoke earlier off mic about how great the, the score is for this mm, film. Yeah. The score is one of the best things about the film. The, what keeps it on this list and keeps it, you know, relatively high at eight is, um, it's so original. The it's number ori- seven for me, by the way. Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so back to back. Gotcha. Yeah. 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 It's, it's so original and, and it it is. Is, it's such a unique premise that, mm-hmm. that he gets extra points for that. I think, mm-hmm. um, it's, 
you know, it's, it's so funny that, that you would have a horror film released in, you know, 2014 that is kind of a parallel to sexually transmitted illness, but like, but not, but also kind of is just a paranoia picture as well. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, and it's kind of low budget also. Yes, it is. You know, um, especially as far as the effects are concerned, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it looks really great. It's mostly well acted, despite the fact that the vast majority of the, the cast is, you know, teens or people in their early 20s. Mike and Monroe's great in this. Yeah. By the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> best part. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's it's still a really solid supernatural psychological horror film. Yes, it is. That is uh, uh, really interestingly directed and really well staged as far as its premise and what yeah. it, what it chooses to do and not, and also what it ch- chooses not to do. It could you know have went I mean? in many directions that were not as good here, and it could have been really cheesy. But it, yes, it it mostly makes all the right choices along yeah, the way. Mostly to where it never makes you roll your eyes or groan at all. I agree, which is something that the the uh, most horror films from this decade cannot say, especially teen centric horror films. Absolutely, let's say that. Absolutely, also. So I I love it at number number eight on my list yeah. and number seven on number yours. seven for me. It's just too it's too unique of a threat the overall threat in this movie you can't really say takes from anything no you know it's wholly unique yeah Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely which which out of the gate makes it really impressive yeah it's not borrowing in that regard from any previous works that's a very it's a very original horror Mm -hmm. film and uh, you know what a rewatch made me put it here because I didn't love it the first so time. So a rewatch made you bump it up. Yes. Because I wouldn't funny. have had it on this list. Because for me, a rewatch made it drop it a little lower. Yeah, I never would have had it on this list. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, there was I, something I was annoyed by the first time I saw it as far as the performances. Yeah. But this time around, I looked at it from a different viewpoint. You know, and David Robert Mitchell is a little bit pretentious and annoying. Some of the things <sighs> that he even throws in this film with, you know, the, the some of the technology is mm-hmm. not to the, to the time period and it's supposed to make you make you make you i don't know wonder or at least you know distracted wait till you see under the silver lake yeah, under I'm, the silver lake I'm man almost avoiding under it's, the silver lake oof. that's just me oof. um number 7 for me then mm-hmm. cuz we Back jumped to you. you is um is the remake of Suspiria ooh um, nice uh we've talked about this on the show uh when mm-hmm. we did our tilda lists mm-hmm. um this is one of those films that i think is so close to perfect but then it has such a bad ending the ending is so so unforgivably bad it's terrible it not only loses half a star it almost loses almost a whole star for how bad the the ending is which is why this probably could have been in the top 5 uh, very well could have been in the top mm-hmm. five, but it gets bumped out of the top five all the way down to number seven. It's still a really great film. Um, it's it's still uh, almost every bit as good as the original in many ways. I think it is. Um, Close. It's, it's so well, well acted. It looks so gorgeous. The score is absolutely phenomenal. 
Um, it's just, it's just, it really just suffers from that, from that second to last or whatever scene in the temple or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so bad. It's just the way it's directed well, and it's scored not, and not shot. Just directed, but edited. I yeah, think. Yeah. It's just, there's this choppiness to the effect they the put eff- on it. The special effects and the camera effects, all of it. It's just, the gore looks terrible, man. You take that scene out and shoot it a different yeah, way. It might be this close is, to a perfect This is film. one of the two or three best horror films of the, yes, of the decade. I agree. If it's not for that, it's just, that agree. scene is just so egregiously bad mm-hmm. that it knocks it several spots down this list. Totally. Don't blame me for that. But still d- do not discourage anyone from seeing it. Cause it's, it's a terrific. Still, film. It's still a really, really good movie. It is a terrific, really film. good movie mm-hmm. and a really great homage to the original. Oh God. Yes. It's very different. Puts its own the vision on it. And it's yeah. very much, it's so much longer. Than yeah. It's much longer. And, and there's lots of plot points and plot threads yeah. that had nothing to do with the original. Mm-hmm. And it, and it looks different. Like even just stylistically. Oh, way different. It's more you know, grim. It's more grim. It's more bleak. It's more it's not monochromatic more, it's not focused on the colors. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more monochromatic chromatic than the than the yeah. original is yeah. it doesn't ha- lean towards some of those weird red hues that mm-hmm. that uh you know argento was doing in his mm-hmm. and and guadagnino just had his own vision for this but still wanted to really pay homage to argento's version so i, yeah, I still it, really love this movie it, it really made you after you see the finished product you were like you know what maybe he was the one to do this not david gordon green and, yeah you know i don't know i don't really know what he could have david gordon green would have done with it yeah i don't know what dgg would have done with this that would have been any better than guadagnino no because version. what we love about dgg is that he's more um interested in the human aspect of it the characters not necessarily the vision yeah and this is the sort of film that actually does rely a little more on style than it does agreed agreed yeah nice choice nice choice uh so we're at number six what's number six for you number six for me is uh matt reeves's remake of let the right one in that is number six for me as well okay so so let me in go ahead and dig in let me in let Me In is another rewatch I recently had. This me was too. always going to make my list, let me say that. Yeah, it was always going to make my list, too. This is possibly the best remake, American remake of a foreign horror film there is. Ever. Yeah, yes. possibly ever. It's a little better than Suspiria because it gets all of it right. You know, it's, it's kind of like the thing that you were saying near the end of our review for The Lighthouse. It's like, what don't I like about this film? So good, right? I The casting I, is I perfect. I can't really tell you anything that I really dislike about this film. And that's why it's a little better than Suspiria because Suspiria has that big glowing red yeah. red flag. And this film... This film does not have. This film kills the ending, unlike <sighs> Suspiria. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. And along the way, man, there's just... The pacing is well done uh the the mood is set right away matt reeves let me just say this let's link this we were talking about robert pattinson earlier mm-hmm. and how he's going to play batman and it's like you're questioning it like Ugh, is that going to be good but then you realize after you rewatch let me in that matt reeves is making this batman movie yeah and maybe it will be maybe it could be because what he's done here and i haven't seen his planet of the apes movies they're solid. You've seen them? I, I don't think they're nearly as good as other people do, where they're saying they're among the best action films of the decade and mm. all of that. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't quite go that far, but they are solid films. All I, right. I would not discourage anyone from seeing them. They're they're solid. But you, to the point where you, they're still like, you could see him having a good vision for the, the next Batman films. Not only can you see him having a good, gritty fil- vision for the films, but also you can tell that he knows how to work well with a big budget and not waste the money. Perfect. 
So, right. And that's another big requirement yeah. for a film like mm-hmm. The Batman. Mm-hmm. So this year, man, early on in his career, it's like this guy has a great grasp of what's going on here. And it's almost the discovery, the original discovery of Chloe Grace Moretz, too. And Cody Smith McPhee. True. Who we talked about earlier. We already in, talked in about him today. Yeah. Yeah. He's great in this. He's yeah. the heart of this movie. He is the heart of the film. Mm-hmm. I know Moretz is the most intriguing. Well, she part became of the it. star of it. Yeah. But but Mc, Smith McPhee, it really is the. Mm-hmm. He's he's the anchor. This here. is him coming right off of the road, which didn't do well, but he was very good in that. Exactly. And then exactly. you know what? Upon rewatch, I forgot about how much I really liked Richard Jenkins in this. Film. Richard Jenkins is sublime uh, mm-hmm. in how subdued he is, and and, and Elias Coteas, and and that dynamic uh, in the relationship between Chloe Grace Moretz's and character him. and his. Yes, you know, and that master subservient mm-hmm. thing that mm-hmm. they have to go through, mm-hmm. and how you find out later on in the film that they were possibly like childhood lovers, mm-hmm. kind of the way, somewhat romantic, kind of the way that that. McPhee's character is as well. Right. You know, and, and you realize that he's grown up with her this whole time. And then, like you said, I've always been a huge Elias Kateas. You fan. have, you have. I, I trumpet him all the time. And he's this really is a good great. role for him. It's a really great, like, cop role for him. I yeah. think the most well directed scene of this film is the Richard Jenkins death scene. Oh, it yeah. is so well done. Absolutely. And plus captivating. Plus, they show you that scene twice. That's true. He shows you yeah. the scene t- at mm-hmm. the very beginning of the film. He shows yes, you the scene, yes, yes, and yes. then he shows you. It's not like he shows it to you from another angle, you know, how, which is what a lot of filmmakers not would do. He doesn't. He shows it to you from the exact same angle, mm-hmm. but just with a couple more vantage points. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. It's really well done. It's. I think it's a really terrific. It's a film. Very, very good. And this film. is another one of those films that that has a lot of heart to it too. Mm-hmm. Like you actually feel for yeah, these kids. Well, the relationship between the two. Keeps it all really centered. And you can't say any of that without acknowledging that first film, which does those exact same things. Oh, God, yes. And this film took that original, you know, uh, uh, Swedish film and, and... and was like, we're not only are we going to pay homage to it in the right way and not bastardize this version of it, we're going to make it Americanized, you mm-hmm, know? Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to keep all of the things that were great about it and still make it even more accessible to an American audience. Well, you know? Yeah, they did. But they also made it every bit as good. And atmospheric. And yeah, exactly. The quality is it all stacks up still very, film. very well. They are both equally as good as one another. I agree. They are, they are that's shoulder to shoulder. That's an altogether right there. Absolutely. Because that one, the original Let, let Let's oh, Write love One it. In, I love is, it. is, I mean, it's one of the most heralded horror films it's of, influential. of its time as yeah. well. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. very influential film. So Both great films. Yeah, number six on both of our lists. All right. So we're, we're now in the top five. Yeah. And I have a confession to make. Cool. Um, of my top five, they, they all come from the second half of this decade. Okay. And they all come from three different directors. Uh, I truly believe that the the five best horror films from this decade are all spread out between three different directors. Okay. Well, um, uh, f- I have five, obviously. Uh, one of them is from the first half of this decade. Okay. What is number five on your list? Uh, number five is from the first half of the decade. Okay. And that is Zach Parker's Proxy. 
Oh, wow. Proxy. Mm. Proxy, which I haven't talked about in years, but I used to really champion this film. That is so funny. I've still never seen this movie. Yeah, right. And, you know, the big tie-in is that I was supposed to be in this movie. <laughs> right. I know. And I was supposed to audition, and all I, apparently it was supposed to be a formality. I was gonna, I, all I had to do was audition. I would have mm-hmm. just gotten a very, I very do small this. role. Yeah. And I... I had only been in one other movie before then and I yeah. kind of chickened out and mm-hmm. I canceled my audition and I didn't do it. And, and then now I've that tried film, like hell to get you to see this. The film got on Amazon and got a bigger, <laughs> bigger and bigger and bigger following. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's real. I completely forgot. I've always about this liked this film. I haven't rewatched it recently, but I've seen it multiple times. Yeah. And it's always stuck with me. I think it's because it has this whole, Again, there's this Hitchcockian aspect to it. Oh yeah, uh, it hit us with a premise for for many so, of you. Our like, viewers won't know what this yeah, is about. Yeah, the slight premise is that there's a woman who is pregnant, pretty significantly pregnant. Yeah, and she's and she's um kind of she's walking home one night and she gets accosted by a masked um not a not really a killer because she only gets kind of mugged by this person but she gets severely beaten by this person at the beginning of this film and she's kind of in a way left for dead uh in the wake of this beating she loses the child and and so in 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 a a vat of depression after what happens in this moment she goes into uh, a circle of kind of uh, a, a therapy circle. She goes to this class where everyone who has been in similar scenarios describes, you know, what they've went through. And in in this kind of class, she meets a, another woman who's went through, supposedly went through kind of the same thing. And she makes friends with this woman. And uh, this movie follows their friendship at the beginning. It follows their friendship uh, until until this woman realizes that maybe this new friend she's made is kind of making all this up and has not really went through this like she has. She finds out that she has kind of made all this up and, uh, she finds out that this woman actually still does have a child and all of this. And because this woman has went a little mad from losing her child, she becomes obsessed with this other woman who still has a family and, I guess things go a little mad from there and she <laughs> she tries to destroy the family this woman has because she's had hers taken. It is very um it exists in a very horror themed world. It takes you off into another kind of uh, in the way that I like sometimes what a horror movie does to you, it takes you into that specific world and if you're willing to like go into it and let yourself exist in it i feel like this movie you know offers you into that and if you're willing to go there it takes you there and 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 zach parker's got a really good vision here um it's it's fascinating because i don't know what he's done since i haven't really seen another film from him it's 2013 when this was made i don't know if he's done anything else yet i think he's done one other thing i don't remember what it was okay but um uh you know i uh, he's definitely one to to look for, you know. Yeah, and this this movie. Um, so that short premise takes you into this world where things get they spiral into darkness, and things get gory and they get very crazy. 
And when this woman goes into that land, she meets the um, husband of this other woman, who play, who's played by Joe Swanberg in this film, um, who does a very, very good job in his role. Um, he becomes, in the last third of this film, the last act of this movie, a very um, significant part. Uh, I just like the way this movie gets crazy and keeps going more mad, and it just works for me. Always has. I've talked about this movie for years. I, I really like it a lot. So awesome. it, it makes my top... Top five. Top five at it's number your, five. It's your number five. My number five is the directorial debut of Jordan Peele, and that is Get Out. Okay. All right. Um, so I really like Crash Chorused a lot of films uh this weekend i stayed up until five in the morning on <laughs> friday night and last night as well wow um just crash coursing to, to make sure that i i rewatched every most everything to get the rankings right you know mm-hmm. what i mean mm-hmm. um get out is a really great movie I think all five of these and, and really all six of my top six even if you include let me in are not just good or really good movies. I think they're all great horror films. They're debuts, aren't they? A lot of them. A lot of them are <laughs> debuts, that too, yeah. Or they're, they're, they are all debuts or sophomore efforts, mm-hmm. which is also really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and they all come from, other than Let Me In, they all come from the second half of the decade as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Get Out is, you know, there, a lot's been made about this film, obviously. He, yeah. he won an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for this. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's, you know, and a lot's been made about the the social commentary, the racial commentary. But just from just a, the, from just a psychological thriller and horror film uh, perspective... It's a really, uh, obviously it's a really original film, but it's just a really well-crafted, well-written, and really well-shot and acted film. It's got just everything you could you could ask for in all, pretty much every aspect. It's a great, co- great score as well. Terrific uh, uh, supporting performances from our boy Lakeith Stanfield. Oh, yeah. Um, Daniel Kaluuya, obviously, is terrific in this. Um, can't imagine someone other than Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford playing the, the parents. Yeah. yeah. Um, even uh, film harmonic favorite Stephen Root shows up uh, <laughs> in, in a really great supporting role as well. There's just, there is much to love about this film. I won't belabor the point uh, that much because everyone knows about it. Yeah. It's, I'm, it, um, many people probably li- listening to this think that this is too low. But um, maybe I, I think that this is a really great film. Uh, upon a rewatch, I liked it even more. Than All right, I, than I than I did the first time I saw it. All right, we're we're going on the top half now. All right, what's number four for you? Uh, <laughs> number four for me is Creep Two. Creep Two. Creep Two. Same filmmaker, Patrick Bryce. Same star, Mark S- Duplass. Example of the sequel being better than the original for you. Very much better. Gotcha. Um, they up the ante. And the performance, specifically from Mark Duplass, ups the ante. See, I've not seen Creep 2. I've man. only seen the first one. It's 80 minutes, man. It's on Netflix. <laughs> All right. Watch this damn thing. All right. It's still Halloween season. I might Watch as well. It. I know you don't really like the first one, but this no, one... No, no, I do. I do like the first one. If you do, then there's no reason yeah. for you not to... Watch it before Halloween. Okay. Or on Halloween, even. All right. It's I got 80 you. minutes long, man. In this film, again, he's putting out craigslist ads there is the twist here is there's this woman who is making a web series 
Uh, and she's, she's, she's trying to catch on in her web series. It's called Encounters. She wants to answer Craigslist calls from random people and explore their lives for one day. It's every episode is a new person oh, and their man. life. She done fucked up. Well, yeah. <laughs> she sees it as an opportunity, though, okay. because she's failing. Her episodes are with boring people who do nothing interesting. No one's watching your show. And then she gets this new one where she responds to it. And he, in the first, she texts the number and she says, I'm interested. And he says, the first thing he says is, do you scare easily? And she says, no. And he says, what's your name? And she says, Sarah. And he says, well, that reminds me of one of my favorite songs. She's like, what does that mean? And he's like, let's meet. And so <laughs> this is how it all unfolds. He come, She comes to his house. He's uh, a few years removed from the first film. He looks a lot thinner. He looks a lot more disturbed. He has more facial hair. He has a ponytail. He looks so much different. <laughs> Mark Duplass looks so much different than the first movie. Yeah. Um, the premise of this movie is basically he straight up tells her as she walks through the door that he's a serial killer. He says, I'm a serial killer, but I'm getting kind of tired of my whole shtick. I've killed 39 people. And you know what? I, I just want to, I just want to talk about my craft with you. You film me all night. We're going to have a weird night. Whether you believe me or not, let's just do it. You can leave now if you want. You can leave. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and at first, obviously she doesn't believe him. And uh, why would you? Why would someone admit that freely? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but he, the first thing he does is say, listen, you know what a lot of people do with each other? They think, what does that person look like naked? Here. And he takes off all of his clothes. And the first thing you see, he says, please film this. This is me being honest with you. And it's just him completely naked for 10 seconds. And he says are you good? And she says, okay, is it my turn? And she does it back. Oh. She says, take the camera. She does it back. And he's thinking, what do I have? And he's, this is the first time the series has taken it, like turned it around on him and said, does he have something on it? Like, does he have an adversary here? What's going on? She does not stand down in this film. And so this movie takes place across one day again. And it's very much a back and forth. Huh. Duplass's character, who is a psychotic murderer who has killed 39 people <laughs> and gets great, great pre- pleasure out of it, is kind of thinking, ooh, is this the last time I'm going to be doing this? So it, it creates that other like thing, like that point of view, like maybe he has met his end. And so met I his match I, met his match too. Yeah. Like, and I won't, I won't say anything further because it's not that old of a movie. It came out yeah. 2017. I don't want to give anything else away, but man, it, 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 it goes places and it again ups the ante and makes me real excited for the third and final installment. It's hopefully coming next year, 2020. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's number four for me. All right. Number four for me is. Jordan Peele's follow-up to oh. Get Out it is Us. You like Us a little more. I do. I, you know, and it's funny because <laughs> doing my rewatches, I didn't rewatch Us because I just watched it again recently. It came out this year and I've watched it twice already. Well, you've so, seen it twice. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, but I was, uh, you know, when I first saw Us, I thought it was better. And then, you know, I, the more and more I thought about it, I was like, well, you know, Get Out's a little more unique and and all that but honestly where i've where i the reason i put us ahead of it blue pizza 
is because of Lupita's performances. <laughs> as great as Kaluuya is in Get Out, Lupita is just mm-hmm. that much better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I think it's scarier. I think so too. And so I, it gets a little couple, a couple extra little horror points for that, for being a little scarier. I think it is. And that the score is just fantastic. So there's just these certain elements, you know, the boxes that I tick off when I'm when I'm grading things. It, it gets a couple extra stars in a couple different categories. It just puts it just a tick ahead of of Get Out. Again, this is another one we don't need to belabor the point. We've talked about it before this year. Sure, already. sure. I just I think it's a it's a really great follow up um, from a director who. Again, the sky's the limit with this guy. I know. I can't wait to see what he does with the new Candyman. I know. Uh, starring Lakeith Stanfield. That'll be so much fun. That's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I know that the love interest, I just read this recently, is the the who, the woman who was a love interest in If Beale Street Could Talk. Oh, so really? It's going to be the I two I did not know that. Yeah, it's, it's very That's exciting. Cool. I'm looking forward to that as well. I just, I really like Us a lot. I think it's a, I think it's a really impressive film. I like it a lot too. So, all right. Cool. Uh, top three now. What top is number three. three for you? Number three for me is a very recent film. Um, I feel like we're going to talk about it again here soon. That's Hereditary Yep. from Ari Aster. Yep. The, his first film. His very first one. His very first film. Uh, again, something we don't need to talk about a whole lot. Um, uh, it, it is a extraordinarily um, dark uh Tony Collette driven uh, for sure. Uh, Tony Collette's the greatest performance uh, film um, that uh, ultimately reaches the level of just kind of like black metal. The movie I've always said, yeah. And where it gets to, it's like <laughs> the last twenty to thirty minutes of this film are among the scariest mm. twenty to thirty minutes mm. of any film I've ever seen. Yeah, but it's not to say that the rest of the film isn't pretty unnerving. No, it is. It's it's, it's dark and eerie and mm. unsettling and really builds in its tension. It's uh, it's something else, man. It's yeah. uh, for for this to be a debut film is really ridiculous. Yeah, uh, the debut directors, especially horror directors, shouldn't be this good. No, no, this they guy's no special. Business. This guy is very special. He's very special. Yes. Uh, yeah. So we, you know, people know about this movie at this point. Yeah, uh, absolutely. We, we will. Every performance is very spot on. Yeah. Um, I know you weren't a huge fan of Gabriel Byrne the first go round. Yeah, but the second go round, he he you hits all so the right more. notes. Yeah. He, he he's 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 taking a step in the background for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He and finds the right notes. And he's one of those actors that's very good at doing that of, yeah. of taking a couple, you know, layers off but still having the meat of it still be there. It, you know? It's good casting and it's a good performance. Yeah. Yes. It really is. Alex Wolf as well. Oh yeah. Great. Uh number 3 for me is also by Ari Aster, and that's Midsummer. That's two for me. That's number two for you? It's number two for Excellent. me. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, rewatched this again just this weekend. Um, Lara hadn't seen it before. And, um, boy, were we both really, really impressed with this. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought it was going to lose a lot not seeing it on the big screen, you know, because mm-hmm. this is only the second time I've seen it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really lose that much, honestly. Uh, it's it's still a very, very impressive looking film. And Florence Pugh's performance. Ugh. 
She's is amazing. so standout. She's amazing. And you know, one of the things that that got better this go round for me was Jack Rayner's performance. I really, I thought he was the weakest part the first go round. So did I. Um, watching it this time. I don't love him still, but I appreciated him more this mm. go round. See, I've still only seen it once. Uh, I see, but I love it. Yeah, I I I, I appreciated it more this go round. His his particular performance, okay. that score, the mesmerizing, just psych psychedelic visuals, that and just how starkly daylight the whole thing is. Yeah, and how bright and vibrant and colorful it is, and just how brutal the violence is in this film. You know her and I were talking about after, after we had seen it, just the two most disturbing scenes in the film are very, very different. One is sacrificial is one sacrificial yeah. scene in the very beginning. And the other is the sex scene yeah. Oh yeah, in the second half and just how very different those scenes are, but how truly, truly disturbing they are and how mm. they stay with you. Mm-hmm. This is, I remember saying, uh, when we saw it in theaters, how I don't think that this film is scary, but that it is very, very, very disturbing. It's one of the yeah. most disturbing films I've seen in many, many years. But just how well executed and directed it is. It's crazy. <laughs> He's how, amazing. How good of a director he is. Mm-hmm. It's it's oh, remarkable. Yeah. Number two for you then also? Yes. yes. It's number two for you? Yeah, it's number number three for me. Yeah, so what's two for you? Number two for me, jumping straight into it then, is Robert Eggers' The Witch. Mm. Um, uh, I, this was going to be lower, but again, on a rewatch, and this is the third time I've seen it now, it earned more points, and I think it was probably because I'd just seen it after seeing The Lighthouse. Yeah. And how much more I appreciated his attention to detail. Mm-hmm. The attention to detail here is so important, sure. whether it's what he chooses to show you directorially, the way he chooses to shoot the, those things that he chooses to show you, and the way the characters are written and thus performed by the actors. This movie um, was a four-star film for me originally. Rewatching it, I bump it up to four and a half. This is... It's really, really, really good. Um, everything that we've already said about it holds true. But sure. um, Innocent's performance, he, he specifically, the dad, he's he's something pretty remarkable. But Anya Taylor-Joy really is the, She's great. the shining glory of this thing. Um, it's just so creepy and just so... And, and a lot of what makes it so creepy is, again, what he chooses not to to show you and well and yeah there's you. that escalating sense that he creates that yeah. dread you know it's uh it, he keeps he ratchets it up he yeah. really does so that by the time it gets extra spooky there in the end with the the child uh the 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 son the boy child being possessed for lack of a better word mm. at, at times there's that and then and then the black Phillip stuff Oof. and then the very 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 end mm-hmm. um it's just it's it's elevated and and you've got your heart rate up and your skin's crawling and it's just yeah i think this is a, a visually striking and very important debut as far as mm-hmm. the the decade goes so number yeah. two on my list we have we've arrived now at the number one spot for both of us I'm yeah. dying to know what number one is for you. You probably already know because I just gave it a five star rating. Yeah, I was gonna say, uh, and that's the lighthouse from the lighthouse is your Robert number Eggers. one. Uh, it's uh, it, it, again, it's very unique. Yeah. There is not a film like it. 
I, I don't, agree. I don't think in this decade. Yeah. Uh, and, and and I know there's been a lot of discussion. We've discussed a lot about how is it a horror movie? Is yeah, it not? That's the only reason it's not on my list is because mm-hmm. I don't technically consider it a horror film. I understand why and you I do. do. I, I think it has yeah. very gothic horror qualities. I think yeah. there's certain scenes in this film that really catapult it into the horror category. Um, and, and I, I couldn't get it out of my head. It, it is a very, very horrifying movie to me on many different levels. Absolutely. Um, and, and there's some hallucinogenic, uh, aspects of the movie that really haunted me to be honest. Yeah. It's a haunting film. And, uh, you know, we don't have to talk about it much more, but man, I was blown away by this movie. Yeah. Knowing you, you're not the type of person that's really, that allows themselves to be swayed by recency bias very often. No, 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 not so really. So the fact that you just saw this three days ago and you're already putting it number one on your list, mm-hmm. it really means something to me knowing you that well. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't do it based on that reason at yeah, all. It's just no. based on the merits it's, of the film. Well, it's just really, man, when you start to think of what I just, the reason I did it. What is there like it? What, what I mean, is there that is well, like this it? decade? What is there like it? Exactly. There's really hardly anything. Can you name anything? No, I cannot. No. What's no. funny is that to me, when I, when I try to think of what's the closest thing to it, I I only can really come up with the witch. The witch, right? That's and it's, it's his vision. And it's because it's his vision. Mm-hmm. It's and the parallels are there because of the the dialogue and the performances God, and things like that. It's really going to make you. Isn't it really going to make you think? Isn't this like the two current? Big names in horror are Ari Aster and Robert Eggers, right? And Jordan Peele. It's those three. It is. Jordan it's Peele's three guys. More of like a, oh, he's almost destined for a more Hollywood version of Absolutely. it all. Absolutely. Yeah. But he is, again, a guy that is executing his specific vision. No, he is. Vision, he is. He his is. specific vision and doesn't give a shit what anybody else thinks. You're right. He is. And that's what makes these three guys the absolute gold standard of horror directors in this decade. And that just happened in the last three years. Exactly, it's nuts. <laughs> which leads me to my number one, which is Hereditary. Okay, right. I, I I give it I give it the, the the slight nod above films like The Witch and Midsummer and Us and Get Out, just because I think it is the scariest. Yeah, of, sure, of sure. the five, I can give you that. It is the scariest. It is the truly most terrifying of them, and it's because of, like we said, that sense of dread that builds up through the first two thirds of the film. Yeah, and then the absolutely chaotic horror of the last twenty to thirty minutes. Oh yeah, that just has you on the edge of your seat, if not all the way off of it. Mm-hmm. It's, um, it's one of the most terrifying films I've ever seen. Period. Regardless of decade. So that's sure. why it got. It, it gets the number one spot just on pure actually being horrifying and being scariest. Totally get it. So, um, Great but, pick. The, but again, I, I don't want to gloss over the fact that those three guys mm. seem to be the, the, the absolute premier directors of this genre moving forward. And they've only each made two films a piece. Yeah. It's as recently as just now. It's crazy. (laughs) With Eggers. And like I said, if if it weren't for for me not counting the lighthouse, I mean, it'd be all all six of the top six films would be just those three directors. You know what I mean? I get it. It's they they are they're head and shoulders above the James Wans and the Matt Reeves. Yeah, as good as those guys can be. There's a big gap there. Yeah, it, it is a big gap. Yeah. And then when you think about how at the beginning of the decade, we like I mentioned, we're we were we were thrust with into the idea that 
the Ty Wests and Drew Goddards and Fidi Alvarez's. Oh, and, Fidi Alvarez, yeah. And and um and what of the Adam Wingard? Adam Wingard, yeah. yeah. Those were going to be the filmmakers that that steered the ship of this it genre for the that rest way. of the decade. And then these three guys, auteurs, for lack of a better word, they are now came out and they were like, "Hold my beer, honey." Yeah, you know right. I mean? That kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, is, <laughs> it's pretty remarkable. Pretty amazing. Pretty, pretty amazing. All right. Uh, well, we are going to take one last break, but when we come back, it's the throwback challenge. So you ought to stick around. Welcome back to my favorite part of the show, the Throwback Challenge. Last week, listener Raymond Kester returned to the Throwback Challenge to give us another dose of 70s cinema. He writes, Have you guys seen the original 1975 Norman Jewison movie Rollerball? I was 11 when this one came out, and I just remember how much it affected me with its violence and politics. Keep up the good work. Love the podcast. All right, we love Raymond Kester and his 70-centric um, uh, throwback challenges yes. to us. Yes, So this was a fun one to, to dig into, you know. Um, mm-hmm. The only, like, really uh, notable star in this is James Caan. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people our age know, primarily know James Caan as the guy from Misery. And, and Sonny from The Godfather. And, yeah, and the <laughs> dad in Elf. Yeah, um, or maybe the guy from Bottle Rocket. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't he in Mickey Blue Eyes also? Probably. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Rollerball is definitely a science fiction sports film. And you don't it get a whole lot of... more s- science fiction than I thought it would be. Absolutely. I thought is. it was a straight sports film. Yeah. Yeah, it is not. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's, it, you know, I, I was, I, all, I too was expecting a lot more sports. And I, I guess I wasn't shocked by the science fiction. What I was surprised with was how much political commentary <laughs> is in this film. There's, There's a, a ton. Mm-hmm. There's a ton. And um, I was also kind of surprised by how a lot of scenes get let linger um dialogue wise yes i i the james khan is you you could either say he's required to do a lot here or he gets to do a lot here but um he really does get to stretch his his wings a little bit here um i was kind of surprised at at that as well how meaty of a role this was for for james khan specifically Uh, i i was less impressed with james khan in this movie okay I, i wasn't blown away by him i just i was i was more impressed by how much how much lifting he was asked to do here i i kind of like knowing a lot about 
the history of the Godfather and how that played out and the Godfather part two before Mm -hmm. this, he was very, um, insistent that he get paid a lot for those movies. He, he, he wanted to, if I'm going to be in this a lot, I better get paid a lot. He was that kind of guy. I see. And, um, in this movie, I kind of saw it. He probably got paid handsomely for this movie. I've never looked at James Caan as being a particularly um, uh, uh, humble guy. No, um, I, I, he's he, he even in his personal life, he does seem like he's a real uh, well self self absorbed. And you know what? Guy. That's fine as long as you show up and give your best. Because mm-hmm. you can imagine that even with somebody like Tom Cruise, who gives his all and everything. True. Whether you like him or not, personally. The guy just goes all out. In this, James Caan kind of just whispers most of the movie. He's kind of just very quiet. I'm kind of here, but, you know, I'm here. Uh, you know, I'll be Jonathan. Yeah, I'll you be paid Jonathan-y. me, I'll be here. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. I, it's sad to say. That's how I saw it. But, yeah. um, I mean, and even in really big, emotional, important scenes, he just seems like, yeah, I'm here. I'm James Caan. <laughs> I was I was just kind of surprised by by how much more there is to this film. Oh no, there are there's more and, than I thought. There story would be. and directing wise, than just this silly game. Which the game seems like it is a lot of fun. It's very confusing, but um, <laughs> there's enough of footage of the game that by the end, by the last two or three matches that you see, you see a lot. You have. You have a better understanding of how the game works after mm-hmm. a while. I mm-hmm. still don't really understand it. No. But um, but I understand it a little more. But it's really not really a- as much as there is footage that is in-game. And there's plenty. And there is a lot. It's really not about that so much. No, not really. It's really about this. It's kind of a political thriller. And I'd a, say it very much is. You know what I mean? And so, like, you know, when you think about the idea of, you know, when I, when I imagined that they were like, we're going to remake this film you know if you told me they were going to remake this film for this decade um i would have been like oh really that could be really interesting now all of especially nowadays not in 2002 no 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 (laughs) but especially with all the the, you know the political intrigue and the the, you know that kind of the thriller aspect of it the mystery Mm. behind Mm -hmm. it a little bit um i would have thought depending on the director that you pick that could be really cool and really interesting. Yeah, like and Nick not a, G and Charlie Hunnam. And not at oh god, <laughs> and not a, it wouldn't have at all been like the the Chris Klein LL Cool J version that we got before, which is just like if you had had Mick G directed and Charlie Hunnam starred. Oh man, right? Um, and John McTiernan made that, right? Yeah, I know. But if but you would it, had if you would had a better director, I mean, like this is the sort of thing. At times when watching this film, I was like, just the the costuming and some of the ways that it's shot and the sure. art direction. And I was really impressed by, mm-hmm. by big chunks of this film. And I was thinking like, why wouldn't have, you know, somebody, somebody really cool taking a fun chance on something like this. I'm not saying David Fincher, but somebody no, like that at least. Somebody, somebody right? like that at least, you know, could have done something really cool with this premise. I know. Um, ultimately it, it ends up being pretty cheesy, but mm. I'll be honest with you. I like this a lot more than I thought I would. Mm. Um, I like this enough that I'm giving it three and a half stars. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, well, between three and three and a half, I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to keep going back and forth, but I thought this was a lot of fun and better than I thought it would be as far as the, the seriousness of it goes. Is it a little too self self serious and self important? 
Yeah, probably. It's not tongue in cheek enough. Yeah, but, but I, I get that it's it, kind of it, fascinating. I get what it's trying to say here, but like, I, I ultimately, if it's trying to do all that, I really have to get behind the main center of it. And I just don't get behind James Caan in this movie. That I is, never really do. That is totally understandable. I, but I don't dislike this movie. It's yeah. a two and a half for me. I don't hate it. Yeah. I just can't get behind it because, you know, I could have done it had it been like the main actor in this movie had really been convinced, more convincing. Yeah. James Caan just feels like he's there and he's kind of just like, oh, okay. he's going through the motions for a lot okay, of Hey, I'm here for a lot of it. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh, obviously I like this one a little more than you do. Yeah. But, yeah. But I, I still think it's a lot of fun and it's I'm just slowly filling in the gaps of my 70s. I love it. Filmography yeah. that I've never seen. You know, so. Thank you very much, Raymond, for yes. giving us this film. Sorry it took us a while to get to it, but, you know, and sometimes we're tardy. It looks like right now we need to give each other uh, throwbacks for next week. We don't have a listener commissioned. No. Um, and I've been running out. Uh, I've been getting pretty thin on my list of things really? that I can recommend to you, but I, I unearthed a pretty solid one. I can't wait to hear that. This. I'm excited to give you, so I'm going to go give it first to me. this time. Give it to me. I'm giving you a film from 1989. Directed by Michael Haneke, called The Seventh Continent. Yep. I have not seen this. Yes. It is um, It is an interesting film about a middle-class family, husband, wife, daughter, um, going around their daily routines. Um, but it's there's obviously something more sinister at play underneath that they are building to. My 30th anniversary, too. I love it. Yeah, it is. It's very, um, it's one of those, the less you know going into it, the more rewarding this I know nothing be. about it, so That's I will great. not look into it. That is great. Don't, don't. Okay. Uh, it's, it's, you know, it's one of those things where early on you could tell that Michael Haneke does not care about your feelings. Uh, he doesn't care about your, your delicate sensibilities. Of course he doesn't. He is... He was this raw and provocative very early on. So Perfect. This is the Seventh Continent by Michael Haneke. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to talking to, okay. to you about it. What do you have for me? I have for you another early film from an auteur, um, and that's going to help you in your Terrence Malick uh, journey. I'm going to give you 1978's Days of Heaven. I've never seen Days of Heaven, and I am yeah. so thrilled this that you it. gave me this. This that's, is the time for you to do it. Let's I'm do excited. it. And it, it just it, it puts another link into the whole you just mentioned you need to keep checking off your boxes in the 70s cinema. 70s cinema and this yeah. is I mean if I was to make the 10 films from 70s cinema that I need to watch the most that I'm yeah. most looking forward to this has been on the list. I don't know why I've been putting it off for years and years and years. The thing's narrated by Linda Manns of Out of the Blue. Oh, oh, all right. She's the star of the film. Okay. She's the star Is this the what she did right after Out of the Blue? Right before Out of right the Blue. Right before Out this of the Blue. This is her first film. This earned her that leading yeah. role. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's what Hopper saw her in. Yeah, he did. Well, this is an excellent excuse to finally get to this film. So. It is. All right. That is exciting. Well, that is our show for today. Remember to subscribe to the Film Harmonic on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review and a generous rating if you're so inclined. Subscribe also on Spotify, Buzzsprout, Amazon Alexa, and Google Play. Send us your suggestions for the throwback challenges to thefilmharmonica at gmail.com. We will be back next week with two new films. We are reviewing the awards darling Jojo Rabbit and the action blockbuster Terminator Dark Fate. 
And in our picks six segment, we will be ranking the six best animated films of the 1990s. So add all of that to our newest throwback challenges, and it looks like we've got yet another jam-packed show on our hands. Uh, with that in mind, we will see you next, next time, time on, on the, the Film, Film Harmonic. Harmonic. Daddy knows just what to do. 